and welcome to Game Brain, a board game podcast about our gaming group. I'm your host, Tom Donnelly, and we are in round 13, turn 8. Can you believe it? The turns are just flying right by us. And I'm here with my one of my favorite people in the whole wide world. I'm here with a casual gamer, Jake. How you doing, Jake? Oh. You are. I'm doing very well, Tom. Good to be with you again. You hey, are. everybody out there. I, saw, I am. Of I saw you last night, and you brought you a big, time. big smile to my face. Um, what's going on with you? It was so nice to see you in person. Yes, which we will talk about during uh, last week's game night. When we talk about game night, we will talk about mm-hmm. what uh, what the special circumstances were for us getting together yesterday. Um, how you doing in general, man? What's going on? I'm doing good. I'm sort of enjoying this transition back into my kid, Logan, being in school, which is huge for any of us with children. You know, this Ooh. is the first year back of like, they're there all day and it's completely opened up my time frame to focus on things that I had always hoped to focus on, you know, in for many years. So it's, it's really nice. Um, <laughs> and what are those things? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, there's so many of us in the group that are writers, and I am as well. That's and right. uh, I'm far behind the rest of my friends, but it's the it's a similar passion, and I've been chasing it for years. And ever since my kids been around, I've pretty much been a, a stay at home dad. Which, as any writer of your caliber or any of us from the group knows, if you're not doing it all day long every day, it's really hard to you know say you're doing it at all in a way. Well, so yeah, it's really nice to be able to have my days back. I mean, you can't. It, it's hard to be like a professional writer if you're only spending an hour a day you know what i mean oh and 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 if you can even spend an hour a day when you're a full-time dad i mean uh, just yeah 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 yeah. spent just drained of all energy it's it's amazing yeah and i think that's true for any passion that a person has and that they're focused on in their life like try doing a good job for one hour a day it's really it's really difficult but uh not that I'd trade my time with my son for anything in the world, but it is nice to be able to focus a little bit back on that dream and sort of pour some of my grown-up attention into, into that fantasy world and, and those stories as opposed to just my beautiful son. That's awesome. That's wonderful. I'm glad to hear yeah. it, man. How are you doing, man? How are you? Um, pretty good. Um, my, my son has, uh, has moved out of the house and into college. Oh, my God. God, so that's amazing. I'm I'm having weeks of big feels. I think we could say that safely. I bet. Yeah. I bet. Yeah. Wow. On the one hand, you know, good. Go out, spread your wings and fly. You know, and yep. and all of that. But um, he's like one of my best friends, and I really miss him. So yeah, that's, that's uh, I completely understand, man. I you know it's funny because mine my kid's only gone for like five hours, and I miss him when he comes home. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So I get it. I get it. That's incredible, dude. That's an incredible achievement and accomplishment in a life. That's amazing. Well, thank you. He, he, he did it mostly unaided, but uh, I appreciate that anyway. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the key, of course, is not letting them know that you miss them because otherwise they have something on you and you get, you know, my parenting style. <laughs> Probably yours is the same way, is make sure you have the upper hand in all situations, so. That was key. Oh, sure. No, oh, I always think about uh, family obligations as like challenges and uh, battles, <laughs> of course. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, well, man. today we are going to be talking about the 2020 release Paris 
by the power duo Kramer and Kiesling. They are the super group of board game designers. Um, Wolfgang Kramer, huge designer in his own right, starting with the amazing El Grande and working his way all the way through the industry to today. And uh, Michael Kiesling, uh, together they did games like To Call, Mexica. I mean, there was a whole trilogy of games like that. A bunch of others that they've that they've done together. Uh, and then Kiesling, in his own right, is is having a bit of a renaissance. Azul is uh, is Michael Kiesling's game, and they are uh, flying off the shelves. So uh, these two guys did a game called Paris together. We are going to talk about that, and then. Jake, you and I, last time we were together, we talked about how to build up a game collection from nothing, right? How to start off a game collection. Well, today we're going to talk about building up a gaming group from nothing. Like Basically, we're going to talk about what are the games to bring out, the gentle, beginner-level Euro games, nothing too complex, nothing too hard, that each are going to teach one of the key mechanics that if you if you understand this game, then guess what? You can graduate to this or this or this. And and after we talk about, I think we're going to talk about six or seven different, maybe eight mechanics. And once you played a game with those mechanics, then virtually almost all of the other games that we play can be explained as well. It's a little bit of this and it's a little bit of that, and people will will get it. So that's kind of what we're going to be doing, right? Does that make sense? Absolutely. Correct. Exactly right. Yes, sir. Excellent topic, by the way. I thought it was a great idea when you came up with it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, well, you know, it it's always stems from my interactions with my son, and uh, I've been thinking a lot about how to broaden his mind and things that, you know, we learn that carry over into other parts of our lives. And then I started thinking about myself as a casual gamer and, like, ta things that you can learn about gaming that will carry over into other games. And it just sort of it naturally grew. So I'm glad you like it. I'm glad to talk about it. 100%. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, my wife is a, a kindergarten teacher, and I think uh, the, the oh, yes. in the teaching field, they definitely call it scaffolding, right? It's like, first you learn this. That's exactly right. And then you build off of that That's to exactly be able to learn that. exactly right. Mm -hmm. So we're going to talk about how to scaffold right. for yourself some, some, uh, some gaming friends. Uh, but first, let's get to this week's Game Night. So two weeks ago, I sent out uh, what is the usual email that says, hey, game night this Friday, it's at the office, and blah, 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 blah. Um, but this was a slightly different email. It said, we are going to have a game night this week, but we will have no game night next week. And we didn't. We did not have a game night on a usual No, we Friday did not. Game night. What did we do instead, Jake? Well, Last night, we went to the movies, yes, which I can personally say is the first time I have seen a movie since COVID. <laughs> and it wasn't just any movie. It wasn't just your average, like, oh, Hollywood made a movie. Yay. No, this was our friend Paul's, um, how shall I say, I don't want to call it his baby, but he was the producer of this film. And it was a special screening at a festival. Uh, downtown in LA and all of the friends got together and we all got wristbands and we all got to sit together and watch this amazing film. Yeah, really, really cool. I mean, you know, I, I didn't. I, I snuck into uh, Paw Patrol the movie instead. But I hear that you guys <laughs> had a good time in that. Uh, no. It, it, the, you know, I was looking for you in the in the theater. I couldn't see you. It got too dark. And I was like, oh, man, I lost track of time. I thought well, we'd all be together. But I ended up sitting next to some of our 
some of our people, and that was very nice. Yeah, well, we were all masked. It, you know, we all had to show our, our proof of immunization and ID. And That's so right. That's they did right. a great job of, of uh, making it a safe environment and a safe space. And uh, the place was – they maxed out at half full because of that. They wanted to make sure there weren't too many people there as well. And uh, the, It was a very responsible way to do it. Yeah, I thought so as well. The movie was called American, American-ish. Um, and oh, have I been pronouncing it wrong in my head this whole time? I've been saying Americanish, um, but maybe that's my New York accent. I don't know. I mean, I suppose you could pronounce it that way, but really, even when you see the title, it's American, and then ish comes on afterwards. Ish. So. Yeah, you're right. You're right. There's a little ellipses there. Okay, American-ish. Yes, I think that I think probably that's the way to put. We'll, we'll have to ask. We'll have to ask my brother-in-law soon and find out what the deal is. But uh, it was a. It's a story of uh, a a Pakistani family. Uh, the two sisters have grown up in the United States in Jackson Heights in in Queens of New York, and yep. Um, yep. a a cousin visits from Pakistan looking for a husband. And it's essentially the story yep. of these three women and uh, the, the, the the mother or aunt in in common, uh, just trying to find their way through uh, through the world, through um, men, yeah. and men and career and choices and uh, family and obligations. Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a beautiful, yeah. it really at, at its heart a romantic comedy. And uh, I thought right. it, I thought it was a delightful little indie romantic comedy. Very very well done. I, I enjoyed it tremendously. I did as well. And you know, whenever I think about seeing a movie that's a comedy, I just ask myself, well, like, did I laugh? And the answer is yes, yes, I did. Yes. So good job, right? I mean, it, that's like the best thing to say is if it's a, if it's supposed to be funny, was it? I thought it was. Yeah. Now, Americanish is, uh, or Americanish, I see I'm saying it your way now. Uh, Americanish oh. is, not, uh, is not currently available anywhere. It is playing on the festival circuit. Uh, we saw it at mm-hmm. the Los Angeles uh, Asian Pacific uh, Film Festival. Uh, it has played in several other film yep. festivals and done quite well. Um, so if you've got a film festival near you, maybe you check it out and see if Amer- Americanish is playing there. If not, I, I have a feeling that this is going to to end up on uh, on streaming services or uh, potentially even theaters. absolutely. Uh, it definitely is of the caliber that you'll be able to find it at home, um, and hopefully in the theaters too, depending on what the climate is there. I don't know. Yeah, you know, and if if Paul continues to to pay me the way he's been, I will tell you about that and let you know. Uh, when and where, <laughs> when and where you can see it, uh, I did have one little gaming uh, uh, night. I, I got some uh, some friends from uh, from the church that I attend that like to play that you know that now like to play board games, and so we got together. And we played Fresh Fish, which was uh, you know since we did the review two weeks ago, is still hot on everybody's mind. And then we brought out Terraforming Mars and played a riveting game of Terraforming Mars on the Hellas map. Classic. Yeah, 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 and I, I like those other two maps they're very very interesting not to get in the weeds too much but uh the base map for um for terraforming mars has one problem as far as i'm well it's it's got a a couple problems uh first problem is that there are definitively better and worse places to build and they become kind of the default oh well clearly you build here and if you don't build here, then you build here, and so on and so forth. So there's a little bit of scripting in terms of the build. Not 
so much that it'd kill you, but but en- enough. And and some of the other maps have less of that, or they have more hard choices to be made in terms of where where your first builds are going to be. Uh, but the bigger problem is is that on the main map. Um, the things that are rewarded, because we have awards and we have milestones, um, some of the things that are uh, rewarded on that map are things you want to do anyway. And it, if you're combining something that you, you are, is going to score you a lot of points at the end of the game with something that is going to score you early points, that's just kind of a hat on a hat, right? That that's kind of uh, that, that kind of kills the idea of uh, of what those things could be. On the other maps, almost all of the rewards that you're competing for on the map, the the, the awards and the uh, um, milestones, they are all things that are kind of detours, right? They don't directly help you in end game scoring, so you have to branch out and really try and nail those things so that you get those points uh but they, they they're not multiple uh, not multiplicative they don't help you in multiple ways so i i really like that and, i see yeah that was interesting um cool. yeah it, it, it was cool it was good to have a, a game night i i didn't even realize that uh you already didn't even think at the time that we weren't having a game night on friday so uh i i mm-hmm. particularly happy to get that in um, what say we move? Of course, on? yeah. Since we didn't have a game night, that's a a, a short, short uh, uh, game night episode. But let's get right into the news. Good evening, Mr. Listen Alpha Southern News. And all the tips and clippers to see. Let's go to press play. Game news. Uh, first up in game news, big, big, big news. This is uh, one of those things that kind of happens and really could shake up the industry. Asmodee. Asmodee is a French publisher of board games, card games, role-playing games, um, founded in 95, and they have been the Borg. They have been buying up all kinds of uh, (laughs) companies. They have been assimilating everybody into their monstrosity, and people have been hand-wringing for some time about that. Like, is that going to be, at the end of the day, a good thing for the industry? Uh, Historically, um, consumers tend not, tend not to be benefited by monopolies, and they tend not to be benefited uh, by very few companies controlling the lion's share of money and power in an industry. So that was a large concern. Well, guess what? It was just announced that PAI Partners, that is the venture capital firm that owns Asmodee, they're putting it up for sale for 2 billion euro. So about 2.2 million, a billion dollars, I should say. Um, yeah, huge news. There's a lot so of- the game group is all pooling our money? Uh, dude, oh, wouldn't that be great? Just, just buy it. Just, yeah, I'll, I'll <laughs> buy would. it. All right, yeah, sounds good. Yeah, let's just buy it. I'll do let's it. Just- yeah, I think so. Anyway, so here's here's some interesting facts about it. Um, back in 2013, just eight years ago, uh, there was a French private equity firm called uh, Eurasio bought Asmodee for 143 million dollars. Eight years ago, bought for 143 million. All right, then they. Mm-hmm. They acquired, you know, they'd already, they started off with a small game called Jungle Speed. I love Jungle Speed. It's a quick little, you know, slap cards, grab cards, uh, a, a sort of game, pattern matching, pattern recognition game. Uh, quite fun. Right. 
Then in 2003, they acquired the Pokemon trading card game for the French version. And that's when... That's a big step. Yeah, that's when investor groups started saying, oh, you know what, we should get in there. Um, so they acquired this company and that company, all these little companies, nothing big, right? 2013, Eurasio buys them for $143 million, And then, boy, do they kick the buying of companies into, the, in, into really high gear. Um, because they start buying, uh, they merge with Days of Wonder, they merge with Fantasy Flight, they get the rights to Catan, eventually they buy Mayfair games entirely, um, mm. they buy Z-Man games, Plaid Hat games, Philosophia, they uh, just keep on buying and acquiring publisher after publisher until eventually... Eurasio sells their company to PAI Partners for $1.2 billion in 2018. So that means they went from $143 million to $1.2 billion in five years. That is a 10 times return, essentially. That's some pretty good expansion. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it shows and, you know, I that... I think that puts into perspective for yeah. a lot of people who don't know about the hobby, how seriously big this hobby is. Yeah, I mean, it, we think, you know it is, I mean? we like, think of it as very small, really but it's actually, yeah, but it actually is acquiring a, a, a kind of weight of its own, isn't it? Yeah, totally. That's a good point. Um, oh, absolutely. You start talking about industries and businesses in the billions of dollars, you're not effing around anymore. Like, that's not just four guys sitting around a table playing a game nobody ever heard of. 100%. 100%, yeah. And then PAA Partners only owns the company for three years before they put it up for sale for $2 billion, almost a almost uh, double what they paid for it. Uh, we'll see. We'll see if, they, if, if somebody comes in to, uh, to pony up the money for it. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen. And, and that is a concern, though, because uh, they also purchased the Board Game Arena, right? The, the best place to play our board games online is owned by this company as well. So lots of times, companies that, uh, you know, a venture capital firm or a company that investment group that buys this may say, you know what, the way this makes sense is to split them up or to get rid of this or to consolidate or to cost cut. And that could be very, very bad for us. Now, we do know that several companies have joined Asmodee only to split back off from Asmodee when they said, you know what, this really isn't working for us. So hopefully things will not be that bad, but it is definitely a situation for us to keep our, our eyes and ears on and make sure that, uh, you know, that the hobby isn't too damaged by, you know, what really comes down to just uh, capitalist uh, games. It really is what's going on here, right? Right. Will uh, I think the concern, in a nutshell, is will the money spoil the art? Right. We've got these artists out there making these incredibly amazing games, and hopefully, the big business and big money won't squash that in any way. Exactly. Exactly. Couldn't have said it better myself. So keep the eyes out for what happens with Asmodee. Uh, next up, Oceans board game. We reviewed it uh, last year and reviewed it quite positively. A lot of people, a lot of people in our group, really, really liked the game. I, I thought it was okay. I I'm not uh, in, in love with it, but guess what? A full digital release. It's been in beta for a little while, but now North Star Digital has a full uh, digital release of Oceans that is available right now, and I'm looking at it as we speak, and it looks gorgeous. 
It looks really, really nice. You know, I missed this one. This was one of the ones I missed. Of course, I remember the the review, but I missed this one in actual in play on table. So it's nice to know it's available now if I wanted to take a look. Yeah, I think you might, I think you might uh, have liked my, it. Uh, it's got a... Tw- uh, digital yeah. launch has got a 20% off right now. Is uh, The code is 2021DEEP, mm-hmm. and you can download it on the uh, Apple App Store or on Google Play. So, yeah, I, listen, I think it might be – I think some of my problems with it might be the tabletop uh, aspect to it. I think it's the kind of game that, much like Terraforming Mars, probably plays very well virtually. So, uh, yeah, yeah, check it out. Yeah. For sure. Cool. Kickstarter. Kickstarter news today. We have a game that has 13 days to go. Um, it had a $10,000 goal, and it's at $115,000, so it is fully backed. It is called Artisans of Splendid Vale. And, uh, Jake, looking at it, what, what, what stands out to you about this game? You know what I'm seeing? Well, first of all, besides the fact that the art is beautiful, personally to me, it, it seems like we've got quite a representation of a variety of, let's say, ethnicities, as if that's not a buzzword these days. And, and, um, and body like shapes as well. A, and yes, and body shape, and and you know it. It seems like there. I mean, there's there's like a guy. There's a guy with horns, but he's wearing glasses because guess what? In the real world, some people wear glasses, and uh, it, it's actually it's really cool artwork. I got to tell you, if, if you haven't seen pictures from it yet, you should go on and, and take a gander because it's right up my. Uh, like the the cards are all quite beautiful. Hundred percent. It's a cooperative, story-driven uh, adventure. Even the pieces, even the little meeples, are kind of cool, aren't they? Neat. Yeah, I thought so too. Uh, it is a cooperative, story-driven uh, adventure game uh, where you are going to play one of four uh, different, diverse, and unique characters uh, with special crafting skills. It looks a little bit like um, if if you remember, uh, you know, what games can we compare it to? Uh, certainly a, a story-driven games. We could compare it to Robinson Crusoe a little bit. We can compare it to, um, what is that, uh, the Scheherazade, uh, Arabian, oh, yeah. Nights, Arabian Tales of the Arabian Nights. Um, but it looks like it's really well put together, and the designers have, have gone out and said that um, uh, taking a deeper look at uh, representation and uh presenting um, role models for a diverse uh, group of people was important to them. And I just got to applaud them 100%. It looks, it's got a storybook as a, as a uh, map, which we've seen uh, once or twice before, but I think it's a great. Yeah. Like a folding, yeah. like a folding map. It's cool. And, and one detail that as I'm, as I'm reminding myself of some of these things, that looks really awesome is that you, they've got a, um, uh, a way that you can change your character using stickers right onto your card. Yep. So that, like, if you get a piece of gear, you can quite literally put it right on to your guy or girl, which, in my mind, is, like, the, that's, like, my little five-year-old is, like, loving that. That's super cool. Now, it says ages 14 and up. I don't know if that's because of the gameplay, because uh, I'm looking at the elements, and it looks like this is the kind of game I would like to play with my... My tween and, yeah. and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe even a little, a little younger than that if it uh, if it plays well. But it looks really cool, and I certainly love the spirit and with which that it is made. So uh, uh, yeah, thirteen. Oh, yeah, yeah. You'll have about ten days left when you uh, hear the podcast. So check out Artisans of Splendid Vale. 
there is another game, Total mm-hmm. War Rome. Um, did you ever play the uh, the video game, uh, anything in the Total War series of video games? No, I don't think I did. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's actually a, no, it's a very it's a it's a fairly popular video game. You know me, I don't play very much video games, but uh, Simon Hall has uh, decided to come out with uh, Total War Rome, the board game. You're going to be able to play four factions: Rome, Greece, Carthage, and the Barbarian Tribes. Um, it is, you know, from what we can see, because it's a little bit of an early notice. Uh, it looks kind of interesting. So it's described as a medium-weight war game with an economic engine. And a little birdie told me that they had Martin Wallace come in to design it. And then they decided, oh, yes. and then they decided to part ways with Martin Wallace because they didn't like what he was coming up with, which is... Oh, I see. Well, listen... Martin Wallace is not is not perfect. He's hey, not he's not right. only hits. Sometimes he hits and misses. So maybe they know better, and maybe they're doing right, or maybe they're turning down something that uh, that was probably pre- that could have been pretty good. There's no way to know. All we know is that uh, Total War, the video game, uh, very popular in in certain crowds, and a medium weight war game with an economic engine sounds really good from a Euro player's perspective, right? It sounds like a war game that's right. got a it lot does. of Euro elements in it, right? Next up. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Jake, 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 Jake. Uh, when you hear this, you'll oh, probably boy. only have three or four this days to get Three or four. Back. <laughs> uh, Masters of the Universe, the board game, Clash for Eternia. We've talked <laughs> about it. We've mentioned it. It's only got a few days left to go. Yes, it's made over a million dollars on on Kickstarter. Yes, it's fully kicked. But Jake, I I can't get past it. I I don't. I, I it doesn't look that good to me. And I got to <laughs> tell you, I am not. Uh, I've never been a He-Man Masters of the Universe. It seems silly. It seems. Am I? Am I just an idiot? Am I just a horrible person? You're certainly you're certainly neither an idiot nor a horrible person, but I I understand why there were many who couldn't quite appreciate what it had to offer. I mean, let's not forget it's aimed at children. It would be a little as a grown super into it, but uh, you know I I grew up loving it. I mean, it, it, I'm a fantasy fan, and that sometimes takes sillier forms. As it does in He-Man. I mean, I think it was always tongue-in-cheek. You know, it was very right. It was right in the era of, like, the Mattel toy run store products, and then they'd try and wrap a show around it. And I think that's probably why it was so silly. But it it was cool. I mean, I can't say I've seen it in 40 years, but... um, (laughs) I remember it fondly. Let me well, put it that way. There is a new version of uh, of He Man that's out there that. Yeah, I has... noticed that on. I think it's on Netflix. Yeah, I think so. Or I... maybe it's on Apple. I can't remember where it is, but yeah, I it can't is... remember. Kevin yeah. Smith produced it, and um, oh, did he? Got some very diverse reactions. The, in general, the reviews have been very, very good for it. But there is a. Uh, a small but very vocal subgroup that is saying that it is the worst thing that has ever been made because it's because <laughs> He-Man ends up not being the main character to some degree that uh, you know that that really it's not it, this is not my He-Man you know there's a, there's that kind of uh, of, of thing going on there so uh, I don't know what to say about that because I don't know enough about He-Man I wasn't really I was I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen the new one enough to compare 
old one. So I, sh- I can't judge. But uh, the old one has its pluses and its minuses. Even for a fan, I think we could all admit that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You uh, know, I don't know. It's maybe the maybe the new one is the same. Yeah, I mean the the sculpts look fine. They look they look kind of cool. But you know, when I, I'm just looking at characters with names like Clamp Champ and Moss Man and Roboto, and I'm just mm-hmm. like, Snout Spout. I'm yeah. like, really? Is that is that? Yeah. It was simpler times. It was simpler times. Maybe. Bar was a lot lower. There wasn't a lot to compare it to. You know what I mean? Yeah. And let's not forget they were they were like peddling to to very young children, where maybe they don't know better than to think of Buzz Off as not being a cool name for like a fly based character. I guess. Anyway, uh, pledges start at one hundred and ten dollars and quickly skyrocketed to two twenty. If you want the uh, plastic Grayskull Castle instead of just a spot on the board that says Grayskull Castle, um, yeah, it's expensive. Um, Oh, by the way, U.S. only to all of our European listeners, I'm sorry to say this project is not going to be available in Europe. Licensing would not allow that for whatever reason. Don't know what the deal is with that, but hey, you've been warned. Um, Gen Con, hey. was, Gen Con hey. was last week, and uh, there was a bunch of things that were announced. Um, I'm just going to go through a super quick list. Um, Terranoth Legends, a, uh, a expansion, a bit huge Descent Legends of the Dark uh, project, is uh, is going to be coming out soon. Uh, Keyforge, we already talked about how Keyforge is going to be uh, hit, putting on the parking brake for a while as they get their uh, their uh, computer algorithm fixed or rewritten, mm-hmm. rewritten entirely, but they did say that the sixth set is going to be something called Wing, Winds of Exchange, which looks interesting. Uh, Arkham Horror card game. Uh, that is a wildly popular uh, a card game, and evidently there is going to be a... Uh, in, there's going to be a game a, a scenario pack called Machinations Through Time, which sounds like it's going to involve some time travel. Uh, Lord of the Rings, the card game, uh, is probably one of the oldest uh, um, card games that's uh, that, that's been out there. Certainly, in mm-hmm. certainly in current expansion, there's going to be a new scenario pack called The Dark of Mirkwood. Uh, Champions is going to have more hero packs. Marvel Champions is going to have more hero packs coming up. And uh, I, I hate to say it. Well, Trey sort of said it last week. The, the 25th anniversary of Twilight Imperium is coming up. And uh, wow. my feelings are not conflicted about that. <laughs> anyway, they're, they're putting out a comic book. 20, uh, 25 years. Jesus. Now, now let me be clear. It's a long time. I have no problem with the IP of Twilight Imperium. None whatsoever. My problem is, okay. is solely okay. with the game and the way it plays and and, and what it focuses on. I, I think that the, the the races in the Twilight Imperium universe seem quite interesting. So a comic book that comes out uh, that is a set in the Twilight Imperium world, I could not applaud more, especially when Simon is also working on a series of graphic novels that p- take place in the Android universe. Um, Matt and I at one point were talking about um, what... IP from games would you want to do something with as a as a writer or mm-hmm. as a storyteller mm-hmm. and we both put Android very 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 high on that list so uh, I, I like yeah. I like the fact that the crossover can go both ways I think that's pretty cool and totally. uh, yeah um, and one last little bit of uh, of Gen Con news 
Um, and this is kind of a follow-up to what I reported two weeks ago. Uh, the Gaming Goat CEO. Uh, we, we talked about uh, how he seems to be a problematic person and was drawing a lot of, uh, a lot of heat, a lot of flack. And, uh, well, he came to Gen Con and he was uh, escorted out uh, right when he arrived. And uh, Gen Con put out a statement saying, uh, Jeff Berggren will not be attending Gen Con. We appreciate those who have provided information regarding this situation um they gen con has very strict anti-harassment policies they take them very seriously um there's been uh, even at at a gaming convention as large as gen con is even with a great anti-harassment policy um there can be problems and there have been historically there have been uh, there have been issues at, at gen con they are starting to take everything much more seriously, and I'm very, very happy to hear that because we want a safe and welcoming place for for everybody that is uh, going to be providing a safe and welcoming yeah. environment for everybody else, right? Yeah, that's right. Indeed. That is game news. That's everything we got in the game. That was a lot of game news, actually, wasn't it? Wow, that was a lot of game news. Well, we're coming up to, you know, Gen Con just happened, and so we're coming up to Essen season. This is traditionally, mm-hmm. you know, when the world wasn't broken, this was when we would start to hear about all the games that are about to come out. Now, uh, we have no idea what is going to happen this year because the global supply chain is fractured, to say the least. So what games are going to be able to be released and what ones are going to be delayed, we have no idea yet. But um, we're starting to to hear about some of the some of the big games that are coming down the pike, uh, most of which are going to happen at Spiel at Essen, which uh, uh, Troy and I were just talking about. We are looking forward to, when this pandemic is over, uh, going back to Essen again. So... Uh, just like we've missed Gen Con this year, we're, we're, we, we don't want to miss too many of these in the future. I think uh, we're getting a little stir-crazy. All right, I'm going to move on to Games on the Brain. Jake, what is on your brain these days? Do you have any any games on your brain, or is your child in school now, and so you are you are filled with writing? Yeah, the second one. I got to be honest. I've uh, I've really poured myself back into that passion, and so I haven't really been playing any games. Uh, though I will say, I have been thinking a lot about the games that we'll be talking about later, just because I wanted to refresh myself, <laughs> and so those have been. Those have been bouncing around in my mind, but no, you, you, you're exactly right. Um, you know, it, it's almost uh, doubly sad that, well, I loved going to the movie more than anything, but it was like, you know, when I get to see you guys and play games, it's so great. And yeah, I, I really have been focused on my writing, so 100%. I don't really have any games on the brain. What about you? Um, well, what's on my brain is I mentioned that my son is away at college. He's at uh, University of Santa Cruz, uh, UC Santa Cruz, uh, studying computer science. And uh, went up, uh, we, we drove him up a week ago, a little over a week ago. And um, yeah, I'm missing him a lot. And, you know, you're, you're worried. You're always a little worried. Like he actually is very, he's got good soft skills. He gets along with people very well. I think he's going to make friends pretty quick. But I kind of want to, you know, I want to do more. I want to help him. So I sent him up the very first care package that he received was games. Um, and my what I was trying to do was, was like, okay, I'm going to send him a bunch of games. They're going to be small, so he doesn't have to have a lot of space. 
and they're going to be games that he can play with total casuals and can be sort of like, I'm just sending him the ultimate breaking the ice, get to know people game collection. So I sent him code names. So smart. Right? Just one. Yep. Good one. Absolutely. Yep. Perfect. The crew, which I'm not sure if you played the crew. Oh, but it's a, oh yes, you have played the crew. Oh, I love the crew. Tom. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I love me some crew. I sent him a teach you deck. Uh, I sent him Avalon. Yeah. I sent him The Mind, which is, a, you know, one of those games people talk oh, yes. talk about a lot when you play it. Um, and I sent him, what was the, I think there was one more, no, two more, Lost City. So it's a two-player, good two-player game. And I sent him Wavelength. So uh, that was... Excellent choices. Yeah, Wavelength is the only full-size box. Everything else is really small. And uh, yeah. Mm. So that's that's what it was on my brain was it's almost like I created my own game sommelier, which is what would you what games would you send to college and, uh, you know, to to an incoming freshman in college. And, and mm-hmm. that was my that was my list because they're all they're, they're games that a lot of people probably haven't played, but they're super easy to learn and they're very engaging and uh, uh, they're they're the kind of games that tend to generate conversation and uh, and and sort of build build friendships, build relationships. Except for Avalon, of course, which destroys them. But that's okay. We 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 want to have both, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Oh man, yeah, very cool. Yeah, so that that was my. Uh, and I'll just ask people out there if you guys have a recommendation for a, a game to send to my son. I'll I'll do a reverse sommelier here, right? We're looking for small form factor uh, uh-huh. and a game that is really really good with uh, easy to teach and and good for getting to know people. That is my question to you, but yeah, it was I it was a great it, idea. I'm sure people are going to write it with good suggestions. I think they, I think they will as well. Uh, it, it it was. It was a fun little project that I had, you know, first few days missing my son. Uh, it was something for me to do that I could sort of still be in his life a little bit, like hopefully not controlling his life. But um, can I can I can I break format and ask you a parenting question? One dad to another real quick. Of course. Sure. Do you mind? No. OK. No, not Did at you all. give your son any advice? Like, like, OK, you're going off to college. Here's some advice, son. Yeah, a, a little bit. There was a um, um, at my church. There was we had a little like sort of going away thing for all the the graduating seniors and stuff like that. And I did. That's I, nice. Yeah, it was. It was. And so so some of the parents could get up and they could give advice not just to their child but to the other one, the other uh, graduating seniors that are that are going off. And um, yeah, I mean, one of the first things I said is that look. Um, there's nothing pithy I can tell you that you haven't really gained through your your life with with me. Like if 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 mm-hmm. if our relationship has gone well, then hopefully you you've you've learned from my failures and from my wisdom, right? And and can carry all of that forward. Uh, but I did say that um, that safe is a bad word in college, as far as I was concerned. That, mm. That in high, interesting that in, and I put it in this way. I said that uh, in high school, a lot of what um, you might have done is 
to keep a low profile, get those good grades, and move on, right? A, a lot of high school is sort of staying out of trouble and, you know, it, it, and not getting, you know, avoiding drama and all that sort of stuff. And, mm-hmm. I said, and I said, college is the time to shine, to branch out, to try different things, to try crazy things. And, you know, I talked about, you know, some of the weird classes that I took just because it seemed like it was interesting. And I said that that was some of the best experiences that I had, right? College is the time to explore your world and explore your interests and discover what hits that tuning fork in your own heart and what you really what you really like and what you really love uh, in terms of people in terms of friendships uh, in terms of classes in terms of extracurriculars um, and I just wanted to encourage uh, this you know my son and the other students that were there mm-hmm. to not be safe, right? To to be brave, to step outside of the, of their cocoon, you know, to to the extent that they can. I don't I, I don't mean safe in any way that is truly unsafe, but in all of those ways, uh, to sort right. of sort of reach out and and you know be explorers, be explorers. That's kind of what I said. I think that's some really good. Uh, I think that's some really valuable advice, man. Good job. Oh, thanks, man. <laughs> it was uh, yeah. And, and like I said, it's like, you know, I said, you know, Aiden, yeah. after, afterwards, Aiden was like, uh, you know what, I, I, I kind of knew that already. I think you've, I think you've covered that, but that was good to hear. I think, I think it was good for other people. <laughs> it was good. To, I was like, okay, well. Yeah, it's funny. It's, Logan says the same thing to me and he's only six. He's like, dad, I know that already. I'm like, all right. <laughs> hey, sorry. <laughs> sorry, well, Mr. Six-year-old knows everything already. Okay, good. Well, you know, there are there, uh, there funny, are dads, dad, isn't it? Well, there are dads who are men of few words, right? They're the ones that do good with giving, yeah. giving those words of wisdom later on because they haven't given them to this point. I guess. You and I are motormouths, right? We're just talking all the time to, yeah, our, we are. to our kids. So That's yeah. right. That's they, true. They don't It's it's great. It's it's an amazing time. Yeah, I think it is too. I totally agree. Um shall we get to our review, sir? Let's do it. Let's do it. Here we go. The game is Paris. It is a 2020 release. The designers are Wolfgang Kramer and Michael Kiesling, or Michael Kiesling and Wolfgang Kramer. Let's do it in that order. Uh, The artist is Andreas Resch, and the publisher, uh, there's a lot of publishers, but the publisher here in the U.S. is Game Brewer. Jake, tell us about Paris. Paris is a real estate game. And it takes place in the most beautiful city in the world, obviously, where you would really want to be buying real estate if you could. <laughs> um, <laughs> the the board is original to me. I can't think of anything that it reminds me of. It's this gorgeous, circular um, sort of cityscape with, um, let's see, one, two, three, four, five sort of uh, cul-de-sacs with the Arc de Triomphe as a beautiful mini right in the center. And essentially, it's a pretty simple pick-and-play card game where, you know, you get to pick buildings and locations, and you have to choose which buildings in which cul-de-sac you're going to buy and to, to develop. And if you do it properly, you can get the whole row and you can get certain matches from different places that get you different bonuses. Um, but, but the actual gameplay is pretty simple. I mean, there's, only, there's really only two things that you do, right? You pick a card, which is, uh, or I guess you call it a tile. I yeah, don't know. I, a I, tile I, is right. I think, I guess tile, 
but I, I, in my mind, I'm, I'm thinking of them as cards. Um, you get to you pick a building uh, tile, and you get to place it somewhere on the board that is open. So you obviously you can't build a building in a in a, in a lot that's already been taken. In fact, um, they, in fact, they then, have places where they have to go, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And in fact, there are places where they have to go. That is dictated by by different, uh, you know, information on the on the board. And different spots uh, on the street are worth different values. Just like in real life, you know, if you're on the uh, one spot versus another, is going to cost you more or less. Um, and then the, the the second thing you can do on your turn is basically take an action, which there are these little keys. Uh, they look sort of like old fashioned turn keys, like metal keys. And you, you, you place this in a place, uh, in, a, in a location that you'd hope to go next turn, basically. Um, and so you, you sort of daisy chain your actions to try and build the most spots together. Um, and then based on what you've chosen and what the other people have chosen, you, you, you accrue points. 100%. 100%. Yeah. Couldn't have said it better myself. Um, yeah. Uh, so there are actually six um, arrondissements or six uh, um, regions. So there, is, there are regions like um, Montparnasse. They've named them after the famous, the, the famous locations, right? Yeah. Yeah. And when you place, uh, when, you, uh, when you flip a, a tile, it goes, uh, you're flipping a tile from a neighborhood. And so the yeah, tile is always yes. going to go into that neighborhood. And then when you place a a uh, um, a key, you can either place it in the bank of that neighborhood, sort of at the top of that neighborhood, or you can place it atop the Arc de Triomphe. And that's here, right. Here's that's the deal. That's right. If you place it on top of the Arc, you can then move it later on to any neighborhood. So you have right, a branching out. That's right. Thank you for, for filling that in. I missed no, that no, trick. No. You're right. It's all good. It's all good. Um, but you get no money for placing it in the Arc de Triomphe. Whereas when you place mm-hmm. it in the neighborhoods, those neighborhoods pay anywhere from two francs up to seven francs, which is really, really important because when you move a key onto a building, each building has a number. In each neighborhood, the buildings are numbered one, two, three, four, five, and eight. And you have to pay the amount on that building minus whatever building you're moving it from. So if I move from one to three, I have to pay two francs. Uh, So you are moving your key up and onto different neighborhoods, moving them to better and better places, as it were. And and trying to trying to basically have the most valuable real estate in these different neighborhoods because these neighborhoods get scoring tiles on them, right? Yeah, they do. And these scoring tiles are uh, will have three values for placing first, second, or third in each neighborhood, right? And they can go anywhere from twenty ten five to twelve six three. Right, which is a fairly significant difference, really, when you when you get right down to it. it. It it builds up pretty quickly, and if you're paying attention, you can really maximize points for sure. I mean, this is I, I've said this in so many of my reviews, but like this is one of those games where I could see that there's so much more I'd like to know to play it better. Like I enjoyed it playing it at the casual level, but I could see there was stuff going on that like I was missing in my first play that want that made me want to play it again. To, to get better at it, because you, you could daisy chain your actions. I mean, you you did quite well, if I'm not mistaken. You, I played it with you, and uh, oh gosh, who were the other two that was in that turn? I forget now. But I, I was just watching. I was I was seeing it build, and I was thinking like, why isn't my building like that? Um, 
but it, it was it's really fun to play and it's not hard to learn like you, you get up and running very quickly yeah i think i think the teach time was 10 to 15 minutes which is is really quite quick um oh yeah and uh it, and it does have that thing. So it's an area majority game because in each district at the end of the game, a lot of points are going to be scored based on what your total value is. So if I own yeah. the eight building and the one building, I have nine points in that region. If you have the five, the four, and the two, you have 11 points in that region. Guess what? You just got first place in that region, and all of those victory points go to you. Second place comes to me, and so on and so forth. So it is definitely worker placement, it is sort of. It is definitely yeah. area majority, sort of. Uh, but then and resource management to some degree, I mean. Oh, yeah. Uh, because, yeah, let's talk about resource management. Um, there are two different resources in, in the game, two different types of resources. There are building resources, which are wood, stone, and gold. And then yep. there are prestige resources, which are bronze stars, silver stars, and gold stars. And the, yeah. I, the idea is this, because there are these landmark tiles. In addition to all the buildings that are on the board, there, mm -hmm. there are going to be six or eight landmark tiles that are going to be available for purchase later in the game. And what you can do when you can afford to build it, you can spend the resources necessary. And they go all the way from you need three gold to build this to you need three bronze or two bronze or one bronze to build this, uh, one silver to build this, a bronze and a silver, and so on and so forth all the way up. Um, when you build those things, they can score victory points immediately for the person who builds them based on trading in those stars. So it, yeah. it might have a bronze star will score you uh, three victory points, a silver star will score you four victory points, and this particular building will also allow you to score one gold star, which is worth five victory points. So that is gaining a lot of victory points early in the game. But then what you've done is you've placed a landmark into one of these neighborhoods. That landmark will have a cost value of 9 to 16 so really, really high value. And remember, keys, you know, you can move your key from the 8 up to the landmark that's 16 by paying 8 francs. And if you do that, you own the 16 building in that region. The odds of you winning that region have suddenly gone very, very high. Now, Absolutely. Now, to complicate matters. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Jake. Sorry. Well, I just I, I had a question that I asked during the teach that I'll ask again now because, frankly, I, I forget the the answer. But the your your resources are hidden in these also beautifully constructed like townhouses or like almost buildings. And at the time, I was saying like, why is this hidden information? Because a game like this seems like you're trying to keep track of your other players' stuff, but this one specifically, it's completely behind the behind the wall. Yeah. And and, and um, uh, th there are some differing opinions about that. I don't like that. I don't think I. I, mm -hmm. I knew you were going to say that because that much I did remember when I asked the first time. I didn't like it either. I don't think it's a good. I don't think it's a good idea. I think that um, it's something that's easy enough to track. Uh, that uh, I think it should be out there. It should be in in the open. Um, but this is listen. When you have hidden information like this. Um, the designer is telling you something. He's telling you this game is designed yeah. for uh, lighter gamers, light to medium gamers, right? Because heavy gamers are going to be like, well, I can kind of keep track of how many of this you have and how much money you got, right? That's that's something that's yeah. a known factor. 
why are we messing around with hidden hidden money and all that sort of yep. stuff? Yeah. Um, you know, and, and by the way, that you know, from group to group, some groups care about that more than others. Our group cares about that quite a bit, and we think that that's it, it's probably a a bad design choice for our play style. Uh, there is one other thing that we should yeah. talk about, though. There's one other mechanic, which is the bonus track around the board. Oh yes, there are all these big tiles, and we put one little gentleman figure with a hat top hat uh at the zero space of it and it goes up to 80 something i think and the way it works is that tile um buildings number one two and three of each neighborhood when your key goes on to one of those you get a free move on that bonus tile track and much like games like francis drake and games like lignum you can move as far you can move your person as far as you want. You can move right from zero to the eighty second space, and you take, can skip as many spaces as you want and take the huge reward that's there, like the really great end game victory point bonus there. The problem is, but is you can yeah, tell us never go back. You have that's right. You've missed out on all the other opportunities along the way. Which I don't know why people aren't doing this mechanic more. It is absolutely wonderful. It creates some wonderfully hard, hard decisions. Like even right, right off the get-go, the first spaces are uh, take two francs, take one wood, take one stone, take three francs. Mm-hmm. You know, which do you do, right? I mean, it's like, do I just take the two francs? Because if I take the two francs and the next person takes the three francs, I'm, I've, I've kind of done a turn that is only, you know, 66% as valuable as the other person's turn. It's uh, I'm kind of committing myself to scoop up all the lower things, which means I have to suddenly do a lot of these little actions. Um, And some of these actions are really, really interesting. Some of these are in-game scoring things. Because remember, a, a lot of the scoring is at the end of the game when we look for the area majority for each of the neighborhoods. But there are in-game scoring opportunities that can be really huge. Like score two points for every one building you have a key on. Score four victory points for every three building you have a key on. You can collect those and at various points in the game choose to score them and score as many points as you would scoring an entire neighborhood at the end of the game, which is kind of huge. And it creates a really interesting dynamic in the game where visiting these lower level buildings gives you these bonus actions and these bonus actions are kind of a little tortoise in the hair it's am i pouring myself into in-game scoring or am i focusing on end game scoring because the more you're messing around with the one and two and three buildings your opponents are grabbing the fours the fives and the eights and realize that there are very few opportunities for two keys to be on one building. For the most part of the game, only one key can be can occupy each building. There is a uh, like three tiles in the game that allow people to occupy a space that already has a key on it. So I'd say, you know, I'm curious at your take on this, but my gut is telling me that the better you get at this game, the less risk there is in skipping those lower spots. Like once you've really refined your strategy, probably you're not going to sweat skipping some of the lower bonuses and grabbing some of those bigger ones, knowing it's going to pay off. And not only that, but how it's going to pay off in in the long run. Um, Because for me, I didn't have the balls to jump ahead. And I was like, wait, I need all these little stuff just to cobble it together. You know what I mean? Just to keep it moving. 100%. 100%. Um, I, I think there's 
I think that it's a situational thing, right? I think in it, when you play this game enough, you will see maybe two out of three of your opponents have leapt way forward and grabbed all the short stuff. Yeah. Then yeah. guess what? The best choice for you is to take a lot of low buildings and scoop up yeah. everything that they left behind, right? Because they've left value on the table for you. And so it, it really yep. is one of, those, right. one of those sorts of, uh, of what did that person do? I'm going to zag to your zig. And you got to realize at the end of the game, there's all sorts of things that score points based on these tiles. There is a the, the last tile of the game is um, there are these <coughs> excuse me there are these tiny symbols on each building that tell you the type of building it is. So this one is a theater. This one is a uh, a coffee house. This or a tea tea shop. <coughs> I didn't notice any red light district. However, uh, I feel the, like that was missing. Uh, the red light district in Paris is a, a famous <laughs> famously called Pigalle. Pigalle is where the Moulin Rouge is, and uh, oh. no, Pigalle is not a neighborhood in this game. So they they chose to uh, avoid. That could it. be an expansion. Oh, That'll the, be the next expansion. Oh, the Pigalle expansion would be dead on, dead on, absolutely first first draft uh, expansion. It should be absolutely in there, no matter what. Um, the the thing is, is that the what was I saying? Oh yeah, so um, you could score up to twenty five points for the last tile on that bonus track. If you um, have seven different types of buildings, like your, if your keys are not just on buildings to score points at the end of the game, but if they're on enough of a variety of types of buildings. And, yeah. And it's not yeah. that all It's got eights, a right breath. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. not all eights are this or all sevens are this or, or whatever. It's literally um, each building has a building type, and there are seven different types, and you can strategize to get your keys on a, a lot of different ones. There's even a tile that allows you to get a victory point per franc that you have at the end of the game. So there's a really interesting alternative strategy where you are focusing on income, and you are spending yeah. you're, you're spending only a little bit, and you're, you're, you're making as much money as you can in order to really jump ahead in the victory points that way, which is really interesting. And, and I mean, you said it, but let's say it again. Gorgeous game. I mean, stunning. It's gorgeous. It, it, I give it a 10. It's like perfect execution as far as how it looks. You, you sit down to this game table, and it's, it, it's immediately engrossing. Absolutely. If I play this at a con, tons of people would be gathering around to look at the game if they if they don't already know what it is. They're like, "What is this?" It is. The arc- yes, and for those people who are in the casual gamer group who, like me, are drawn to a beautiful skin, this one is like tantamount. Like, if you've never played a game and you saw this, you'd be like, "This is what those games are." Oh my god, it's amazing. So let's talk about the one last thing because there is a third action okay. that you can take behind besides. Placing a key out on the board or moving a key that's already on the board, there's a third thing you could do, which is take a flag tile. The game, mm-hmm. There's like mm-hmm. 10, 12 game, uh, flags that are laying around, and you can always take one, flip it over, and see what the reward is. The reward could be uh, three francs or one uh, stone resource or uh, yeah. that, that sort of thing. A, a, yep. a couple of victory points, that kind of thing. Um that is the end of the game mechanism because when the last flag tile is taken, that indicates that is the last round of the game and then afterwards everyone gets one single final action uh, after that. Right, right. That's the clock. It is, it is the clock. Um, so let's, let's talk about 
what we love about the game and what we may not like so much about the game. Um, okay. What What are your favorite things about the game? Um, I, I love, well, first and foremost, it's beautiful, which is big for me. I know it shouldn't matter as much, but it does for me personally. No, it 100% um, can matter. Love, I'm, I'm, weird. You know, some of us, I'm weird in that yeah, it doesn't matter to Some of us are drawn much. to it. No, well, your, your, your brain is a special game brain, dude. <laughs> you can see right <laughs> past that stuff. You're like Neo in the Matrix. You just see the, 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 the ones and zeros going down. Um, but for me, it was gorgeous. And the fact that it's really easy to learn, but that its complexity is apparent. You could, I could find myself falling deeper and deeper into this one and getting better and better at it. And for me, that's a bonus. Um, whereas some games, it just looks inaccessible and too hard. Like I, I'm, I'll be like, I'll never be able to get into this. This one for sure sucked me right in. That's great. Um, for me, I love the bonus track. I love that you can gain these actions, move your piece around this circular board, but you're never going to be able to move it backwards. And you have to make some really hard decisions in terms of what extra bonus you're getting for that action. But the tension of, in order to get these bonus actions, I have to be putting my key on low numbers. And the game really rewards grabbing the high-numbered real estate in all of these regions because that's what's going to be the, the main driver to score the most points in the game. That tension between those two things is a really smart idea and a really good design. I'll also say that um, playing landmarks is a really interesting tension as well because you are paying some resources in order to put out a high building, spending more resources to immediately gain victory points based on that. Not insignificant victory points, too. Some good victory points. But lots of times, I'm putting out a landmark that I do not have the francs to get to. So I'm putting out a, a landmark. I'm scoring points for it. But at the end of the day, somebody else might be the person yeah. to occupy that landmark and thereby win that region for the end game scoring. So it's a, it's a, it's, there's a couple of really good tensions in the game. I like that. Now, so what didn't you like? Yeah. All right. So first thing we already talked about, hidden money, yeah. hidden resources. Don't like it. Don't like it. Yeah, it, it, I don't it's like it either. not great. Um, the flags, the end of the game is when you uh, are, draw the last flag. In general, you should not want to draw flags at all. In, in, in general, um, you want to be putting out keys and moving keys. And there are bonus tiles that give you extra keys. So you should be the, – the game really benefits from – the key economy and moving these things around and getting the most points to the extent that to some degree taking that bonus tile is kind of waving the white flag instead of drawing a flag because it is almost like I there's nothing I can do. And to have the game end by a bunch of people realizing I got nothing else I can do, I guess I'll take this. Not to mention these flags in the game are supposed to be face down, so I don't even know what I'm going to get. And... Generally, at the end of the game, there's probably two or three of those flags that put you back in the game. Like, in other words, after you draw a flag, you can do another action next round because you got the francs that you need or you got the building resource that you need to be able to do this other thing. Um, so I, I don't like the, game, the way the game ends at all. It kind of ends very much with a fizzle. Um, mm -hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And, That's a fair critique. Yeah. And in general, you know, it's an area control game that's it's kind of based 
around money. It really is. It's it's really about spending money to move your keys as high as you can to get the most points in the regions that are worth the most points. And that's kind of the game. I think it's fine. I think it's good. Um, I don't think that it is a game for everybody. I will say that um, Ben Mandelker uh, played it and was like, um, I don't think I really love this one. Candace, uh, Candace also said, I don't think I love this one. Uh, a lot of the, you know, our hardcore gamers were like, I see it, I get it, I understand it, but it's not really for me. That said, mm-hmm. the more casual gamers in our group have tended to, yeah. to love the game. And, really- and I think that makes sense, honestly. I mean, for, for the reasons you've said already, I, I think this definitely is a good one for, for people who aren't as advanced. Yeah, so I think that for light and mid-game, mid-level gamers, Paris is definitely a game that you should check out. Um, if you are medium-heavy on up, this might be one to skip. It's just, it, it's just not quite for you. And I will say, uh, hopefully, every gaming group has at least one player who can do a really terrible French accent for the entire game. Because otherwise, you're just not playing it properly. Man, we miss you. But of course, it, is, uh, <laughs> uh, but, uh, it would be ridiculous to uh, play this game without, uh, without even, even attempting a horrible French, oh, French accent. Oh, my goodness. It is important. Indeed. Uh, oh, c'est magnifique. It is one of my favorite things to do, a horrible French accent. <laughs> it's the best. It makes it so much more fun. That was Paris. Moving on Paris. to Jake's segment. What is the perfect game to teach the main mechanics of Euro games? Which is interesting because we're not really talking, we can't talk about one game, right? There is there is no game that teaches many, many, many different them. Yeah different mechanics right so the first yeah. first thing we had to do is we had to figure out well it's never going to be perfect but what are the eight um most common euro mechanics that need explanation right and so we came up with these we came up with the worker placement card yep. dra- card drafting yes set collection yes area majority just like paris absolutely uh, cooperative gaming Deck building, network and route building, and auction slash bidding. And we figured that, you know, if, if you know, know how to do all of those, then guess what? You can probably shift into any game with a relatively low level of explanation necessary, right? Absolutely. All right. I'm get- really glad that this is something we could talk about because the casual gamers out there who are really feeling themselves and want to maybe get better at one mechanic or another, they could they could play these games and sort of hone their skills a bit. 100%. Yeah. And, and you know, some of us can leap into the deep end with little problem, but most people, you know, they, they you know, you got to start, you got to start slow. You got to start with the, with the simple things. I mean, how many times when you say that, oh, I'm going to a board game thing and they're like, well, what are you playing? Monopoly? No, yeah. a little something. Oh, Settlers of Catan. No, there's a whole bunch of other things out there, and and but to start to describe them is a little is a little tricky, right? People can get a, a little lost in the woods. People, yep. People don't like being taught things. Sometimes, have you noticed that? It's a, it's a, it, you know, there are some. There's this weird pushback 
on learning. That does happen sometimes. I think it's one of the worst things that could possibly be because what's better than learning something new? Um, but yes, I agree with you. Yeah. It's not everybody, but, but some people, oh, no, no, some people it's like, look, I want to play this game, but I don't want to listen to 20 minutes of how to play it, right? I don't yes. want to do that. Like, can we, is there a way we cannot do that? And this is the way we're going to, we're going to talk about games that are easy to teach and that once you've played the game, you understand a key aspect that is going to shorten the teach of future games, right? Absolutely. Let's do it. Let's get right to it. First one, worker placements, probably the most common or one of the most common mechanisms in board gaming today is worker placement. What is your simple to teach, simple to understand game that is going to tell people worker placement? I I went with Everdell. Oh. Um, Which segues nicely from Paris because it's yet another gorgeous game as far as I'm concerned. The artwork, the layout, the, the, the cardboard tree, all that stuff ticks all those boxes but uh which sucks you right in to then be able to really get the mechanic down 100 percent, 100 percent. and listen you have a hand of cards you have all these other things that you're doing but you do have your little forest creatures and your absolutely forest, and your forest creatures have to go out there and and grab up the resources necessary to play these cards could not be more simple could not be easier the the trick to everdell is reading the cards and figuring out how they work and how they work together. But certainly, understanding worker placement in Everdell is such a good choice. Love it. Yeah. Love it. Thank you, thank you. Um, I will throw in two others that are that yes, are, are pretty good for that. Viticulture. Viticulture is interesting in that when you're placing your workers out, there are seasons, and you choose where – and by the way, I'm talking about the uh, Essential Edition or the Tuscany Edition – uh, we prefer we prefer that game, but you're you're placing your your workers out onto an idyllic map, and and you're you're taking actions that you're going to need to to grow your you know to grow your grapes and to make your wine. Um, the great thing about viticulture, of course, is that the theme informs play. Like it, it, you don't need to be told, well, you need to do this and then you need to do that. We we kind of get how how growing grapes. And, you know, planting fields and all of that sort of stuff works. So simply knowing which space does which kind of tells you what you need to do. The other thing about viticulture is that uh, you're placing things by season. So you don't necessarily want to place all of your workers early. You want to hold some back in reserve and use them later. You also have a grande worker. You have that big worker that can go anywhere even if that space is already taken by somebody else. So it teaches you that aspect of worker placement, which is not all workers are always equal, which I think is a pretty mm-hmm. good thing. Um, and then I will say that base level Agricola, right? If you take the cards out of the equation and you're just taking these these little workers and you're building up your little farm, uh, I think base level Agricola is a fairly easy game to understand Probably not the first worker placement game you play, but I don't think it needs to come that far after the base level game. And it's just it's still such a delight. Really such a delight. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, what's our, what's our next me- mechanic? Uh, I believe card drafting is next on our list. All right, what, what, do you, what, do you, what, what game are you going I, to teach people for card drafting? I would say check out Seven Wonders. Oh, yeah. I think this one is one that, uh, again, tying back to Paris, a game that I would like to play more. 
Like I, I, I was playing this game and it, it opened itself to me in a way that I was like, this is something I could fall into and, and really spend time on. Right. Our friend Mark now just last week was talking about how uh, over in Austin, he plays, still plays a lot of seven wonders. It is a great, mm-hmm. game, a great game for casual gamers, a great game for people to come over and play. It's not that hard to teach. Wow. And yeah, and the whole game is drafting, right? The whole game is look at these seven cards, choose one, yeah. and pass the rest. Yeah, that's right. And, and by the way, just on a personal note, this is one of the mechanics that I would like to improve. I, I feel like my card drafting my, is, is not my strong suit, and I would like it to be better. Yeah, listen, the more you play Seven Wonders in particular, the better you get at that because you start to, you know, once you leave that, we, we, we've talked about this, like, when you start playing a game, you're looking at your board and what you need to do. And then Correct. when you start to get better at it, you're looking at your neighbors and what are they doing and what are they after and, and are they ahead of me or are they behind me? And once you get and, to that... Okay, go ahead. Can I just interrupt? Because what you just said also applies so perfectly to being like a person and the development of a child. Like I look at my son, I think about you and your son, your children. It's like that... That encompasses it perfectly. You start out young, you're only looking at your own stuff. And what can I do with my stuff? And then as you get older, you start realizing, oh my God, I'm not the only person on the planet. There's other people doing their own stuff. 100%. And it all affects itself. Yeah. yeah. Which one are my enemies and how do I crush them? 100%. <laughs> right. Of course you go there. Of course. 100%. Actually. That's the important, that, yeah. that's what it's all about. That's right. Um, that's right. We just want to hear the <laughs> lamentation of their women. It's so true. No, it, 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 your your point is actually well taken because it is it, it is you, you're becoming more mature as a gamer and you're not just thinking about your game but you're seeing other people's games and seeing how they they interrelate in card drafting. That's the second step. The first step is figure out which the best card is for you. Second step is think what does the person I'm passing these cards to really really want me to pass them? And right. sometimes and how can I not pass it to them? Sometimes sometimes you realize, oh, you know what? This card that I was going to choose benefits me like 10%, but if I pass this card to my neighbor, it's going to benefit them 40%. So the better yeah. choice That's right. is to draft the card that I don't necessarily need, but I want to make sure they don't have, which is... Absolutely. Yeah. Very yeah. defensive. Super important for card drafting, and and the great thing about Seven Wonders is that over three rounds, you're passing cards what six times each. So yeah, so you got eighteen passes. It literally is just learning how uh, the mechanism of card drafting can win you or lose you the game. Really, absolutely, absolutely. Oh, I love it. I love it. Um, I'm I'm gonna say that there are. Two games that I like for for card drafting. I'm going to say one game is called Citadels. Citadels is a uh, a game by uh, is it Bruno Calfa or Bruno Fiduti? I think it's Bruno Fiduti, um, Italian designer. Interesting older game. The idea is that we are trying to build um, citadels. We're trying to build up. Um, regions of our board, and if we get a certain number, we're playing cards, building cards. And if we get enough cards, which generally you have to pay money to get these cards, some of these cards have special abilities once they ha- once you have them in your kingdom. Um, and at a certain point, you've gotten enough cards in front of you that you win the game. But the key is, is that we draft these special roles. Special roles 
being roles like the king, the queen, the sorcerer, the thief, the assassin. And each card, first of all, goes off at a different point. So the assassin goes first, and the king goes sixth, and so on and so forth. So um, turn order matters very much, but their abilities matter tremendously. And in Citadels, those abilities are often very take that, very slap this person, like the you need, you need gold to build these cards. So guess what? The thief does. The thief steals gold from somebody, and you choose who you're stealing gold from, um, which is which is pretty good. So what happens at the beginning of each round is somebody is the start player. That person gets all the cards minus one. They don't know which you know. You know they they don't. Well, I guess you do know which one you you didn't get, but uh, they get a bunch of cards and they choose one of them. And that's going to be their card for this round. Then they pass the cards to the next person, and that person chooses one role. Once again, card drafting, because you're not only thinking about what's the best card for me, but you're also thinking, oh, um, Trey is winning the game. And I think if Trey gets the king card, I think the game is over. I think he's got it. So maybe I have to take the king card to make sure that Trey doesn't get it. Or... I realize that Trey is the fourth player to go. <laughs> I'm the first player to go. Maybe I can take the card I want to have because Paul and Matt come next, and they're also going to realize that the king card has to be taken, and one of them is going to fall on that sword, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Citadel is another great card drafting uh, uh, game. I would say that that uh, one of my favorite uh games is uh Taj Mahal which is a Reiner Knizia design um that also has a little bit of card drafting in the sense that you're it's a, it's a card game it's got a it's got a board it's got all sorts of other things going on but largely you're bidding with cards um and at a certain point you're going to fold and you're going to go out and if you've won if you're still winning anything when you're folding um you are going to get those rewards Right, but you're also right, right. But you also have ten face-up cards that are going to replenish your hand, and choosing right. when to go out to get those cards before the other person gets those cards and gets those benefit is another huge, huge thing. So a little less um, uh, straightforward card drafting, but it's still a card drafting mechanism that's pretty cool. All right, absolutely. Next up is set collection. Uh, yes, sir. Set collection. Yes. Um, <laughs> For for this one, I, I went with um, Lost Cities, oh. which is another game I've only played twice, but I would like to play more. It's a great game. It's a great. Uh, I, it's I a know. great game. I said I'm sending. That's one of the games I sent up to my son for uh, for college. Yeah, yeah. It's a great game. Tell people. Uh, tell people what uh, you know. The the, the oh, sorry. Right. Of course. Of course. It's a well. The, the skin is that you're like uh, an explorer. You're like Indiana Jones and you're an archaeologist and you're, you know, you're, you're collecting these cards to basically um, uh, like complete your expedition, let's yeah. say, as far as the story is con- c- concerned. And you start off with whenever you're doing an expedition, you basically score minus 20 points. So you have to get expedition cards yeah you're in that are worth that are worth more than 20 points and the way it works is Mm -hmm. if you you play a four card and you later in your hand draw a three or a two they're useless to you because you could only go upwards 
in terms of your placement. So set collection is super important because you're getting a hand of cards that is constantly being replenished. Mm-hmm. And you're looking for what is the what is the color that I'm looking for? What is the color I can play yep. on right now? What is the color I'm yep. likely to score the most on? What is the what is the color that I'm in danger of? And and generally, if I don't have a lot of that color, it means my opponent, because it's a two player game, probably does have it. So yeah, how do I not give them things they desperately want? Which is yeah. Well, you're not always going to be able to do that. Is the is the real answer? Sometimes you have to give up something that's going to benefit them. There's just no way around it. Hundred percent. Great set yeah. set collection game because you're really trying to hoard. And by the way, when people discard in that game, you can pick up the yes. discards because the discards are put that's out right. by color. So you can't that's bury right. a color under something else. The, the discards are by color, and you can draw off of somebody's uh, what somebody just discarded, uh, which mm-hmm. makes set collection all the more important, right? Yep. Uh, for mine, I'm going to go with Bonanza. That's B-O-H-N-A-N-Z-A. That is uh, the first hit ever from Uwe Rosenberg. And uh, Bonanza is an amazing game. Um, you draw a hand of bean cards, and your bean cards have to be kept in the exact order in which you draw them. And the first card in your hand at the beginning of your turn must be played down. And oh, I love this game. This is, uh, you know what? Ooh, your choices. I might have to swap over. <laughs> this is a great one. They're both great I, choices. I forgot they're, about this they're one. They're both great choices. And, but the thing is, is that you can only plant two bean fields in the game. Yeah. Unless you buy yeah. a third bean field. So if I have a blue bean at the front of my hand and I have two fields and the fields are stink beans and uh, what uh, red beans, right? If I still have that blue bean in my hand when it comes time to, to plant a field, I'm going to have to tear up one of those fields. And guess what? Fields do not score until you've got enough beans in that field to reach the, the, money, uh, the money points. And some beans, like cocoa beans, there's 20 cocoa bean cards in the game. Yep. Tons and tons and tons of them. Uh, but it takes, you have to have like seven to even score anything. Red beans, there's only four of them, which means the second red bean scores money already, and the third and the fourth uh, score even more. There's maybe six, uh, six of those beans in the game. Um, so set collection is hugely important in this game because you're looking to get more and more of the type of beans that you are planting and you're looking to get rid of the beans that you are not planting in such a way that the other person isn't benefiting too much from that. Great, great, great set collection game. Um, unlike Lost Cities, beans have different values, right? The the beans that yeah. are only six cards in the deck are more valuable than the ones in which there are 20. But how do you figure out, you know, how, how do you value these things in order to perform the set collection that you need to score points? You know, it's interesting because on um, Board Game Geek, they've got Bonanza as uh, 13 and up, and they've got Lost Cities as 10 and up. But I honestly think that the, the Bean game is probably a little more accessible to younger players. I, I would have had that swapped. I, I would say I would put them both at 10 and, 10 and above. I think yeah. maybe because you have to keep your hand in the exact order – and maybe also because there's it's a negotiation game, right? Oh, uh, right. That's true. That's a whole other layer. That's it, fair. It could be. It, it could be that was why they said 13. Um, I, I think I would totally – I've played Bonanza with eight-year-olds. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, I could see that. I could see that. And they, yeah, that's a great choice. That's a good one. And they are brutal, by the way. <laughs> eight-year-olds and eight-year-olds in bonanza it is it is it is literally negotiating with terrorists they are not going to give you what you want they are going to they're, they're going to demand everything and give you nothing in return they are horrible horrible people so um next up is uh, what's the next category okay the next one is area majority ah like paris area majority yes you score the most points yes you have I, you know, honestly, that one's not such a bad idea. I hadn't chosen that one, but it would tie nicely in. Sure. I went with uh, Carcassonne. Oh, great game. Great game. Talk, I, talk about I, I just love this game. Talk about another well, I mean, gorgeous okay, game. So this, yeah, it, it's, it's a tile placement game, and you're building, you're building a world. I mean, talk about world building. Uh, w- when this thing is all laid out and you're looking at it, I'm, I'm actually looking at a picture of, like, one variant of it. It's just beautiful. It's simple. It's easy to see how it all connects. And essentially, you're, you're laying tiles and, and creating things like rivers and how your cities grow and where the roads go. Um, and obviously, all of those are, things are very important because if you're trying to control it, you need to make sure which way the roads and the rivers and the buildings are all going. Yep. Um, this is another one that I've only played once but would love to play again. Oh, dude, you have to get it and, and play it with your son. I mean, it, it, yeah. he can play it, it right did now. perfectly right. Exactly right. This one falls right into that category, which ties nicely into the whole theme because I am thinking about like what games can you teach a kid to get him better at these games. I mean, you can even play it non-competitively with him. That's what I started out with, where you're literally just yeah. building beautiful roads and and valleys and things like that. Uh, but the the area majority comes in when you know different places score differently. Like when you lay down your meeples, uh, they become farmers and. The most farmers in particular areas are going to score points versus you know having the most knights in the in the towns and things like that, right? Yeah, fantastic. Exactly, absolutely right. fantastic. It's exactly right. Yeah, great. And call. it's just cool looking. Yeah, yeah. And listen, how can I talk about area majority and not talk about El Grande? El Grande. Mm-hmm. I can teach anybody to play El Grande in five minutes, and yet it is such a deep. I still to this day adore it um candace came over and was talking about how she had never played el grande great thing about candace is is that she just comes right out with it she's just like you know what? i never played that game i've always wanted to play that game uh i have a copy but it's in the garage and i was like that that cannot stay we are playing we are playing it immediately we're playing it right now had an mm-hmm. absolute blast a a a very simple um, uh, area majority game in which we are competing nobles in medieval Spain and we are taking our cubes. We are uh, pulling our cubes from the provinces into our hand, right into our court, and then from our court onto the board following a very simple but quite uh, um, complex in the way it plays out um, method. And each, at the end of uh, every three rounds, three times in the game, every single region is going to be scored. And some people are going to get a lot of points because they have the most in that region. Some people are going to get a few because they're second. And sometimes even third place scores some. It's a very simple game. Tremendously fun. Highly, highly recommended. Uh, Next up. Yeah, absolutely. Cooperative. There are more and more cooperative games out there. And uh, while it's almost not a mechanic, I think it's still enough of a mechanic uh, uh, to to include it. Um, What cooperative game would be a best? You you mentioned it earlier. It's the crew. It was in your care package. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
I mean, this is by far my most favorite cooperative game. I, I just think there's something about the silent communication and that every every card you play is speaking volumes if you're, you know, if you're if your friends are listening 100 percent, and it, it teaches it teaches really well what is key about cooperative games which is gosh if only i could do this we you know if we if we could all just do this we would we would have this game licked super easy right it's like we're and teaching people yeah. that you're playing against the game but here's the trick you can't do blank that's yeah you know that that's a lot of what it's about it's right? a very clever game and and talk about just building communication skills uh, th- this is it's amazing to be able to think about being able to communicate better by saying nothing 100 percent uh for me i'm gonna go yeah. with the the old standby pandemic pandemic is a very easy game to learn it really really is um mm-hmm. but we all have to work together, and we don't quite know what's going to happen on the board and quite know what's coming. It is really simple. The The number of actions that you can do are really quite limited. So it's it's about sequencing. It's about figuring out what is the best thing to do at this point and to assess, looking at this dynamic board that is changing all the time, what is actually the greatest threat versus what is the threat that I can address directly, right? That, that's really yeah. what it's all about. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Pretty great. Um, what's next? What's our next one? Deck building. Deck building. <laughs> Deck building. All right. Now, for me, I, I have two. I have one that I think is my real answer. And then I had one that sort of came to me actually this morning when I was just still thinking about it. And I, I just have to mention the both, if you don't mind. The first of course. is Dominion. Ah. Dominion is, I mean... You know, I don't know if I'm sure your two examples will be as amazing as this one. But for me, this one really, if you can play this one, then you'll then you've got deck building. When I teach people, first of all, it it, it is a game that I describe as a shopping game. And some some people that does not work well with, but some people that works really, really well with, especially very casual gamers. They're like shopping. Yeah. Yeah. You start off with a hand of money. (laughs) Yeah. And you can That's use right. that money to buy great cards, and those cards are going to do yeah. other things that are going to let you get more money. <laughs> it builds. It builds very nicely. It does. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then for my second, which I literally, I, like I said, I thought of this morning, is a game that I taught my son um, last year, uh, which is super noob, and we could laugh about it, but One Deck Dungeon. Oh, yeah. Um, 100%. It's, it's, it's really enjoyable for the younger crowd or for like somebody who's just brain dead and needs a break and doesn't have to think so hard. And it, and it really does teach the mechanic, I think. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're building up a, a deck of cards. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a great answer. I love it. I absolutely love yeah. it. Um, for me, for deck building, I'm going to go with uh, a, a real great lighter hit from, uh, from a year ago, Taverns of Tiefenthal. Taverns of Tiefenthal, you are you have a hand of uh, cards that are patrons that are, are going to be coming into your establishment, and like most good deck builders, there are ways to uh, get better cards, right? Buy mm-hmm. better people to come in, buy you know you know get uh, uh, servants and people to work in your thing, get better clientele <laughs> to come in. Yeah. Uh, but there are also yep. ways. There's also ways to do the other strategy, which is to get rid of worse performing cards from your hand. So yep. to really, really do both. Which, which by the way, Dominion does so well. Um, Absolutely. Are you going to 
put together a huge hand that's got a lot of good cards, but a lot of bad cards as well, and have a mechanism whereby you can sort of sort through those? Or are you going to go with a strategy where you are trying to make the smallest, densest, best deck that you can? And generally, it's a race between those two strategies. So, yeah. Tavis Steventhal. Yeah. Uh, it incorporates, unlike Dominion, which is strictly the card game, Tavis Steventhal introduces board elements a little bit, and mm-hmm. there's there's some other things going on. But really, the core of the game is that deck that you're building, right? The clientele that comes to your tavern. Absolutely. Um, next up is network and route, route building. Route. Yes. Route and from my choice, you say route or you say route? Um, they're both right. You can they're say both you can right. say they're both, both right. You can say both in in, in Jersey. Uh, in Jersey, it was Route Nine. It was in Jersey. In, yeah, in Jersey yeah, it was Route, route nine, nine, not Route Nine. So you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with I, you on that one for I, sure. I, I think we said uh, I went both. for Babylonia. Oh yeah, yeah. Which is again gorgeous. But even without the pieces on the board, it's kind of beautiful. Might be my game um, of the year. Subtle. What's that? Might be my game of the year. Might be my. Oh yeah, game. I think you. I think you. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. It's it's really fun. Um. And it's really intuitive in a way, which is not always something you can say about a game. Yeah, and and you know, some people might think, well, that's not really a, a, a route building game. But I think when you when you start playing it, the discs that you are putting down on the board they score so many more points when they are chained when they are chained together. Oh, absolutely. So I, I remember this teach well. You taught this one really brilliantly, and I just remember. I, I think this this absolutely qualifies as creating a route. I mean, if if you've got guys cut off, you've made a mistake. <laughs> so true. Like that, I, I, and by the way, I made that mistake. <laughs> well, we we all did the first few times we played it. We were we're, yeah. we're still getting yeah, our, yeah, yeah. our feet wet and figuring it out. Um, and, and for me, I'm going to go sure, with the which are yours? old classic. I'm going to go with Power Grid. Freeman Frieza's Power Grid. Yeah, Funken, that's a good one. It's a Funkenschlag. Well, people don't, you know, when, when we think route building, we think trains and this and that and the other thing. Uh, Power Grid really turns that on its head. But it is absolutely a route building game where you are um, bidding on power plants, getting power plants, and then you are, are putting houses down on the board that are now powered and the there are costs to connect from this city to that city there are costs to connect in this city um it, it really lays out in, in a in a super simple fashion simpler than most of the train games mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um this is this is how you play a network game it's like oh look he just did a massive turn where he built this city to this city to this city uh, and he has the money to do it because he positioned himself in such a way that he could do that. And and, and route building games—that's what what it's all about, right? So it's, it's all about absolutely seeing the 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 advantageous position that no one has taken advantage of yet and getting there first. Yep, oh. correct. And last but not least, auction bidding. And yes. this one, I will say as well, um, is one I'd really like to get better at. Because it's one of those ones where I, I almost don't even, like, I can't see behind the veil. I see people making plays. I see people doing calculations in their head and what to bid and why. And I'm not, I'm not picking it up. And I, and I, it's something I'd really like to get better at. I think it's, um, I think it's fairly common actually, because I, we talked about that. It used to be that bidding was in in most Euro games, most, and now yeah. it is, it, now it is a rarity. It doesn't happen yeah. very much, probably yeah. for exactly the reason you said, which is that um, 
to bid well, you have to kind of see the matrix, right? You really do. You really do. If you're not keying into what every other person is doing and what they're going to do, then you might as well not make a smart bid because it's, it's, it's irrelevant in a vacuum. Yep, 100%. What's your yeah. game? And so, so for this one, I chose the estates. Oh, which yeah. was a game that I thought was enormously fun, but even more frustrating for me personally. <laughs> without, without, and I don't say that as a negative connotation. Like it was a frustration that made me want to play better. Not like, oh well, f this game, I'm never playing it again. But I could, I just, I was staring at it, and I was just like, I got to understand this. How can I get this better? It's a, it's a. Uh, the only thing I would say about that game is it is easy to, if for the for what we're talking about. It is yes, yes. It's easy to teach. Yes, yep. it teaches you well how to how to bid and how bidding can work and all that sort of stuff. Yep. The only thing is, is it too mean and is it going to drive people away from the hobby? <laughs> well, I don't. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. It is a bit cutthroat. It is a bit. You know, take that. So the last the last game we played of it. Of it though, I mean. The winning score was zero, I think, the last game we yeah, played of it. Yeah, I believe it was, yeah. <laughs> everybody at the other table, I think we broke up into two groups at that game night, and everybody at the other table looked over and was just like, wow, what a giant waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> you won by doing zero. Good job. Oh, man. <laughs> it's um, amazing. But, yeah, that's that's a game I would love to get better at and a mechanic I'd love to bone up on in general. Great, Which one were yours? Great example, but for me, I, I, I think there is one game above all that teaches uh, teaches auctions, teaches bidding perfectly, and that is Reiner Knizia's Modern Art. Um, mm. Here's the thing: first of all, the game is all bidding. It's it's literally each player in turn puts up a work of art, and people bid on that work of art to to acquire it. Certain works of art by certain artists are going to be worth more than other works of art each round of the game. It is a closed yeah. money system, so you can win the game winning almost no art. You can win right. the game simply by selling your art for more than the other players, yeah. which, is, which is interesting. Yeah. But the cool it thing is. about the game is that it has each artwork has a symbol in the corner, and the symbol says what kind of auction it should be because there are many different auctions in the game. And guess what? If you play that game... You have learned the four major ways auctions are done, and they are mm-hmm. blind bidding, where you put the money in your fist, and then everyone shows, and whoever bid the most, bid the most, right? Yep. Uh, blind bidding is one. Um, open bidding, where anybody can bid, and whoever bids the most takes it. Once yep. around bidding, where somebody says, you know, you know, it's like if Jake, if you're the first one to bid, you can say any number you like, but you're not going to get another chance. So you better yep. figure out what the you know what the pain yep. point is for the other people, and then last but not least, there is a fixed bid where the person who's putting up the work of art says, um, "This work is going for thirty five million dollars." Anybody mm-hmm. who anybody who pays the first player in in turn order who pays thirty five million dollars gets this work of art. If nobody pays for it, then I get it right, and that kind of right. Thing. So right, right, right. So yeah, that's a good example. Strictly an auction game, and several different types of auctions. Literally, could not be more designed to teach you how the auction mechanism works. There you have Absolutely. it, ladies and gentlemen. That was uh, Jake. Great, ep- great uh, segment. I really loved it. I Thank think you, sir. Absolutely well, you fantastic. know, it's nice to be able to talk about it with somebody who knows all the answers. <laughs> Dude, you, <laughs> you make it so much more fun. You brought you brought it today. I mean, that that, that was those were a lot of great uh, great suggestions for games. All of these games are 
pretty easy to teach new players. Yeah, absolutely. And each one of them is going to get their feet wet with one of the major mechanisms that is going to come up again and again and again if they come in more game nights, if they play more games. And you can literally start to explain them, explain games to them that way. Like, well, this is Citadel meets El Grande. This exactly, is- which I hear you guys say all the time. And sometimes it's very enlightening and other times it's very frustrating because I don't know all the references <laughs> even after all these years. Yeah. Um, this is really modern art meets that, pandemic, right? Yeah, it's like, yeah, exactly, exactly. And I'm like, oh, wait a second, I'm gonna Google this real quick. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the casual gamers out there, if they check these games out, uh, any one of them will will help them step up their mechanics to to you know get better and and really explore the the hobby um, to be able to play at another level. Hundred uh, percent, Jake. I think we have time for a game sommelier. Do you mind doing one? Let's do it. Let's do it. Sometimes a player just got to know which game should stay, which game should go, which to play with mama, madame, abou. You got to tell me, monsieur, just what to do. Want to make an impression, but I can't get far with my 50th player of Agricola. A million games. Show me the way to the master, the game sommelier. All right, here we go. Saitama, I hope I'm saying that right, uh, Saitama had a question for us on Discord. Uh, question for the sommelier or any of you fine folks. After playing several uh, several different types of games, I found that my two favorite mechanisms, I chose this because of your topic, uh, nice. are route building and auctioning. Hey! Oh, there you go. Hey, that right? ties in beautifully. Thank the, you, Saitama. The only game I've played that covers both these categories so far is Chicago Express. Great game. Uh, some of my favorite games that have have route building or auctioning, but not necessarily both, are Bus, Brass, Hansa Titanica, Modern Art, and Ra. Hey, guess what? First of all, Saitama, great choice in games. Those are huge. What else would you recommend for me? Jake, I don't know if you have an answer for this one. This is, this is kind of having... I think have... you, sir, are the sommelier. Done. Okay, I think I'm that's been it. made quite right. clear. All right. First of all, Saitama, uh, there are a number of rail games that fit that bill. Uh, the, probably the classic of which is Age of Steam. Each round in Age of Steam, we are bidding to not only determine turn order to a large degree, but also to grab these uh, uh, special abilities. Locomotive, Engineer, which allows you to build more tiles on the board. Locomotive, which gives you a stronger uh, uh, engine and you can go farther, so on and so forth. Uh, The auctions in Age of Steam are brutal and they are mandatory and the route building is also brutal, fierce, and highly, highly competitive. Cannot recommend Age of Steam more. Um, 18xx, if you want to go really into the deep end, 18xx has both of those aspects. Power Grid, we already mentioned, right? Power Grid, uh, we uh, we auction off power plants. Each round of the game, we auction off power plants. And then uh, it is a classic route builder. Um, Taj Mahal does have an auction in that we're playing cards to win these things and connecting temples in the game is a major major part of scoring so there is a rebuilding mm-hmm. aspect uh, but I'm going to say one last one the one that you're not expecting the one that you haven't heard before or haven't heard from you before there is a game called Cavum. Uh Cavum is a mining game 
And by the way, it is by the exact same designers as Paris. Kramer and Kiesling designed uh, Cavum. And it's kind of a, for me anyway, it's a hidden gem. It is a brain burner. It is a thinking game. And it is a brutal take that game as well. So let me explain the way it works. Um, Each person is a miner. And what we are doing each turn of the game is we are building tunnels under the ground. We're digging tunnels under the ground. We can take up to four actions each turn, and some of those are build a tunnel. Some of those are discover a pocket of uh, of gems and ore or whatever, and so, and so on and so forth. Uh, some are plant dynamite and uh, various other, th- and, and some are uh, build a uh, factory or a refinery, right? You can build refineries on the surface. You can build them down in the, in the tunnels, and you are going to score points based on um, the relationship from those refineries, tunnels, uh, and the right. and the pockets of gems, right? And you're trying to get uh, the gems of the game. Guess what? So that's the root building. The root building is building a root of these tunnels that are going to connect all the things to get the most of those gems out of the earth and into your greedy, greedy little hands. So that's the route building part. What about the auction part? Well, first of all, there is an auction at the beginning of each round which determines what the turn order is, right? Turn order is really important for two reasons. First of all, when you are doing a, a uh, route-building game, turn order is always important because when I build my tunnels in such a way, sometimes that is going to block you from doing what you need to do when you want to build those tunnels, right? Um, that's number one. But number two is there are these other tiles that you can take, and you're going to take them in turn order. Whoever bid the most gets to take the first tile. These tiles are orders, for lack of a better term. An order will say, you're going to get these points if you turn in two red gems and a blue gem, right? That kind of thing. So you're looking to get these things to be able to score those, and finding the right one is a a key, key element of the game. But there is a. Second. I haven't played this one, but the the sorry to interrupt, but it's beautiful looking. Just for the people out there who care, it's simple, it's gorgeous. I'm not surprised based on how nice Paris looks, but it's a really good looking game. Yeah, Mike, okay, continue. Sorry, Mike Doyle is the artist, and Mike Doyle is is pretty fantastic. Uh, there, there's a split opinion about this game. Some people like the look of it. Some people do not like the look of it. But uh, I think it's very elegant. I think it's a really interesting game. Uh, but there's a second auction that happens. There's a second bidding that happens. And that is, at the end of the round, once everybody has gems, or once people who have gotten gems have gems, you then are going to get uh, get points from them by selling them. But guess what? You have to choose what you want to sell your gems for. If other people sell gems for less, they're going to sell them and you are not. So if I'm the only one yeah. that has a blue gem, guess what? I can sell it for nine. I can sell it for the most you can sell, or eight or whatever. I'm going to sell it for the most you can sell it for. The moment there are two people that are both trying to sell gems, we are racing to the bottom because they're only going to buy gems from one of us, and they're going to buy it at the lowest possible price. So uh, just another interesting game to think about. It is a uh, It is a game that divides people. Some people love it. Some people hate it. One of the reasons is, remember I said dynamite? When dynamite goes off at the near the end of every round, um, it destroys the space that the dynamite is on, and it destroys every tunnel adjacent to it. 
And this is a uh, hex map, so it can destroy up to seven tiles in the game, which really, really messes up people's routes that they have built. It messes up their, all sorts of things that they have done. They've, they've built the perfect mousetrap, and now it has been utterly destroyed by another player who is uh, looking to hurt you. It is a, You're talking about Paul, right? Uh, clearly, we're talking about Paul. I'm not sure we can. I'm, matter of fact, it is so mean. I'm not sure we can play with Paul. <laughs> it is a hard, 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 hard game, uh, and it's also a very thinky game. So, um, you might want to set a timer rule where each player gets a certain amount of time to play the game. It's supposed to play in two hours. You could play it in one hour. Uh, with our group, it can easily go uh, two and a half, three hours because. There's, little AP. Little AP it's yeah. a little AP. It really is. But it's a really, really interesting game yeah. that fits that uh, fits those requirements you had. Thank you so much for that question. I thought it was really, really, really yeah, good. Great question, Tom. Thank you. Jake, you're the best. All right. You're the best of us. You're the best, Tom. No. Thanks for making this happen. Every time we do this together, it just reminds me how fun this hobby is, how great my friendship is with all of you guys. I love I love spending my time talking about this stuff and talking with you. We feel the same right back at you. And it was great to see you at Paul's screening last night. That was a lot of fun. It was. Huge shout out for Paul again, man. Congratulations. We're all so proud of you. It was amazing. Amazing. 100%. Um, we have a YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash C forward slash Game Brain Pod, a Facebook group, a Discord channel. Oh my goodness, there are so many ways to interact with us online. Please get in those board game sommelier questions. As you can tell, we love them when they come in. And ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to Game Brain. Produced and edited by Matthew Robinson, Tom Donnelly, and Trey Alsop. Special thanks to Daedalus for our incredible music. More on Daedalus at GameBrainPod.com. Thanks to Edamar Peleg for our incredible graphics. You can reach us by email at contact at GameBrainPod.com or on Twitter at GameBrain underscore pod. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. And go out, play some games with friends, or make some friends with games. Oh.